Vinny, your house, your 401k, your bank account, your cars, your boats, your stocks, your bonds, your real estate, or any other of those tangible things that we think are so crucial to life. You can't take any of them with you to heaven. You do understand that, don't you? But here's the incredible thing. You can take your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren with you to heaven. And isn't that wonderful? To be able to know that we're going to spend eternity together with our families. There is no investment of your time or your effort that's more valuable than the time and the effort that you involve in your children. You're going to take them with you to heaven one day. And so we're learning in this series, this six-week series that began last week, about some of these principles that are more than 2,000 years old about how to have the kind of family that God desires us to have. And it's interesting that Psalm 127, our second week to come back to this psalm, gives us some instruction in, in this respect. It gives us an illustration. It gives us metaphors that we can use to help us to begin to understand this whole matter of parenting. Psalm 127 is called a song of ascents. And it was one of those psalms that was, it was sung or it was chanted as the children of Israel were making their way to Jerusalem, going up those hills, going up to the mountain where the temple was. They were chanting or singing this psalm. And it has to do with worship, first of all. That's its primary purpose. It's worship. They're coming and they're giving their worship to God. But in it, we find some incredible metaphors, some incredible illustrations about the whole matter of parenting. We drew two from it last week, and I'll just quickly draw your attention to them. If you missed last week's message or you want to hear it again, you can go to the website, lmbc.org. You can download the app. You can listen to it free. No, no charge to do that. And you can replay it uh, for yourself, and you can listen to what we talked about last week in greater detail. But we talked about the matter of the, the, our children uh, growing up and needing a plan, that we have to have a plan as parents, a plan as parents. And just to drive that home again for a moment, I want to read to you from some research that's done by George Barna. Uh, George Barna is a professor. He's a researcher, does a lot of research for uh, religion, about religion, uh, for churches, uh, spiritual issues. But in uh, this particular research that he did, this is what he said. Parents believe that they are primarily responsible for the spiritual development of their children. But few parents spend time during a typical week interacting with their children on spiritual matters. The study found that close to 9 out of 10 parents of children under age 13, about 85% of these parents, believe that they have the primary responsibility for teaching their children about religious beliefs and spiritual matters. Just 11% said the church is primarily responsible, and 1% said it's mostly the domain of, of their child's school. I'm not sure who that 1% is. He goes on, few parents assigns, assign such responsibility to friends, society, or the media. The survey data, data indicate that parents generally rely, the survey data indicate that parents generally rely on their church to do all of their religious training their children will receive. According to the research, he says, parents typically have no plan for the spiritual development of their children. 
do not consider it a priority, have little or no training in how to nurture a child's faith, have no related standards or goals that they are seeking to satisfy, and experience no accountability for their efforts. Now, you wouldn't want your children to grow up in that kind of an environment where there's no standards and no goals. You're not seeking to satisfy anything, and there is no accountability. And yet, that's where we are a lot of times as parents, because we don't have a plan. And again, just to drive this home to you, think about it this way. If our children get 180 days of classroom instruction, that's about what our children have to get every year. We multiply that by six hours per instructional day. Take out lunch, take out PE. That's 1,080 hours a year. If our children average six hours of time per day online and on TV, and that's per the CDC, as we can trust them, that's per the CDC, six hours of time per day online or on TV, that works out to be 2,190 hours a year. If our children are home on average of 10 hours per day, and it may be more than that, sleeping, eating, family time, and so forth, if they're there an average of 10 hours per day, that's 3,650 hours per year. If our children average two hours a week gathered with the church, which most don't, that's 104 hours a year. Do you see the problem? You move from 1,080 hours to 2,190 hours to 3,650 hours, and then parents expect the church that has their children for 104 hours or less per year to be able to overcome all of those other things that are influencing their lives, it's not possible. I mean, it's possible with God's help, but it's not probable. The reality is that we as parents have got to have a plan for the spiritual development of our children. And we're going to be talking about that in one of the coming messages. But I'm just driving it home to you again. Driving it home to you again. And I've written it this way. Listen carefully. If parents are not actively participating in this process of shepherding their children's hearts, the spiritual dimension of their lives gets drowned out by all of the other things. And so in the first message, we learned from Psalm 127 that there has to be a plan. But secondly, we learned that there has to be a builder, a master builder. It says, unless the Lord builds the house. And the word house can refer to a physical structure, but we also learned that it can refer to a family, the house of David, the house of Simeon. Not talking about a physical structure, talking about a family. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain who build it. We need God's help. We need his wisdom. We need his understanding. We need his guidance. We need his direction. We need his correction. We need his encouragement. We need God's help. We can do nothing of eternal value apart from God. And he says if the Lord doesn't build a house, three times he says it's vain, it's vain, it's vain. It's empty, it's meaningless, it's purposeless, it doesn't accomplish its purpose. You've got to have the Lord's help. And so those are the first two things we learned about. Uh, we have to have a plan and we have to have a builder, the master builder, God himself. Today we add to that two more things. I think they'll be obvious to you. But two more things that come out of the metaphors and out of the illustrations that are given to us in Psalm 127. And the next one is we must have a foundation. We must have a foundation. 
Nothing that's built that's going to last is built apart from and without a foundation. More than 30 years ago, almost 35 years ago, I started my first ever building project at LMBC. We've had several since then, but that was my first one. And to be honest with you, I thought I was going to lose my mind, and some of you think I probably have. I thought I was going to lose my mind. I was living in the parsonage with my family. I'm looking out the back window, and I'm seeing all of this unfold right in front of me every single day. And I walked the site many times every day, and many times I walked it several times a day. Some days I look out, there's nobody out there. Where are all the builders? <laughs> you know, other times I look out and I think, they're not doing that right. They're not giving it their best. You know, it's not good to live right next door to where you're building. Not, not a good thing. But they built this gymnasium. It's got, you know, classrooms and a kitchen and a bathroom within this big gym floor. It was fascinating. We found a builder who said we could do it because a lot of people said you can't build on that slope. I mean, it just fell away. It just fell all the way down into the valley. They said you can't build on that slope, a gymnasium. We found a builder who said you could. And he explained how he could do it. And we signed a contract. I'll never forget, I went away for a week of vacation that summer. When I came back, they had already started the excavating and they had dug back into that hill back into that mountainside, if you will, and they had cut out this huge hole. I mean, the road, you were standing at the, where they had cut out, and you were looking up. The road was way up there above you. And they were obviously going to put a wall, a concrete wall, to hold that section. But they took all of that dirt, and they pulled all of that dirt out over that hillside, and they filled in that hillside, and they compacted the dirt down. And they ended up with this level, flat place where they were going to build a gym. But then the fascinating thing happened. They came back and they dug these enormous holes that went way down into the subsurface of the earth. All the way down to the what? All the way down to the what? To the rock. All the way down to the rock. They formed up within each of those holes. There were eight or ten of those holes. Formed up within each of those holes with wood. Uh, the way a column would look. And then they put rebar down in those forms. And then they brought the concrete trucks and they backed them up and they kept pouring concrete into those holes, into those, into those formed up uh, uh, rebarred areas that they had prepared. And they filled them up. And when they cured, when they dried, they cured, they came back and they laid a floor that sat on top of those pillars. That's 35 years later, and it's still standing there. Now, we may go out today, and it's fallen off the side of the hill. Uh, but it's 35 years later, and it's still standing there. Why? Because it was built on a solid foundation. Our children not only have to have a plan. We as parents not only have to have a plan. We not only have to have the Lord's help, a builder to help us. But we have got to understand that what we are laying in the lives of our children is a foundation. And if we don't lay a sound, solid foundation, we don't get down to the bedrock, we're having our children to build their lives on something that will not stand the test of time. I want you to keep your place here in Psalm 127. I want you to turn with me over to one of the most famous sermons of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. It's actually chapters 5, 6, and 7, but we're going to look at the end of this sermon. And in the end of this sermon, Jesus basically comes to those that are listening and he says, look, I want you to hear what I say and I want you to do it. If you don't uh, do what I say, these are going to be the consequences. And he gives two illustrations that I want you to get 
as we talk about laying this foundation. It begins in verse 24 of Matthew 7. Therefore, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. That makes sense. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Now here's something fun for you to do with your children sometime. You want to teach them about the importance of obedience and the importance of obeying Christ specifically? Take these two stories of these two builders and show them not only the things that are similar in the two stories, but the things that contrast in the two stories. For instance, the things that are similar. They both were men in the two stories. And some of you ladies are thinking, yeah, there's the problem. (laughs) They needed a woman involved in this process, and maybe you're right. They both were builders. They both had plans. They both had materials with which to build. They both had a place to build. They both had a foundation. One was rock, one was sand. They both had a foundation. They both had good weather when they were building. They both heard the instructions. They both built a house. They both had similar structures. They both had a storm. They both had rain, floods, and wind. They both were likened to something, one to the wise man, one to a foolish man. They both were held accountable for their building. And maybe you can find some other similarities in these two stories. If you come up with them, send them to me because I like to collect those. But there's also contrast in these two stories, right? One did, the other didn't. What do you mean? One did what Jesus said, the other didn't do what Jesus said. One house stood, the other didn't. One was wise, the other wasn't. And the contrasts. But when you read those two stories about those two houses that were built by those two men, let me ask you a question. What's obviously the problem with the house that fell? What is it that Jesus is drawing the attention to in those two stories? Obedience, yes, but what does obedience do? It builds a what? A foundation. Can you say it out loud with me? A foundation. A foundation. One had a solid, stable foundation. The other didn't. We don't want to lay for our children a foundation that's not solid and that's not stable. We want our children to be able to have stability and durability in their lives. And in order to have that, they have to have a sound foundation. You got to have a plan, you got to have a builder, you got to have a foundation. Now, all of us understand some aspects of this. We want to lay a foundation emotionally for our children. We want them to be able to deal with the highs and the lows of life, the good and the bad in life, uh, the sad and the happy of life. We want to lay for them a foundation socially. We want to teach our children how to get along with others, how to interact with people, uh, how, to, you know, how to make friends and how to be friendly. And while every child's personality is different and you don't force them all into exactly the same mold, we want to help them socially. So many children are socially awkward because they've never had a parent to help them. Uh, I used to as a kid, I was as the shy, backward, you never would have thought I'd be a preacher, that's for sure. I'd hide behind my mother's dress, but my mother and my father worked and helped me to learn and, and, and helped me to learn how to be sociable. 
And so we want to lay a foundation socially. We want to lay a foundation physically. We want to help our children to develop their bodies. We don't want them to eat all the time at the fast food line, right? Right? I mean, it's okay occasionally. We don't want them to eat all the time. We want them to have healthy foods. We, want them, we don't want them to sit in front of the television or the computer screen. We want them to get out and exercise, make your heart pump, extend those muscles, stretch those muscles. We want them to develop physically. We have to lay a foundation financially. We want our children to learn about the value of money, about the dangers of debt. We want them to understand that you have to work for what you get. The government is not supposed to be giving you a living. You're supposed to be working for a living. And we want to lay a foundation for them academically. Every one of us are concerned with our children's academics. You know, we want them to have science and math and history and geography. and We want them to have band and uh, drama and all these other things that go along with their academic development. But you know the one area where most parents don't give any thought to or they give very little thought to when it comes to laying a foundation on which their children can build their lives so that they'll be stable and durable for the rest of their lives, the one area is spiritually, spiritually. I'm about to read you something that I read. I wrote it word, word for word. I want to make sure I say it word for word. So listen to me carefully. The fact is, the greatest battles your children will face are spiritual in nature. They're not going to be financial or academic or emotional or social or, or physical. The, 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 the greatest battles your children will face are spiritual in nature. This one detail... That is, focusing on the spiritual. This one detail makes Christian parenting fundamentally different to all other parenting approaches and styles. And it's the reason why it's parenting truth that you won't hear anywhere else. Not only have they discounted it because it's 2,000 plus years old, but they've discounted it because they don't believe it's true. And they don't believe that your children's spiritual life is all that important. And what a sad mistake that is. Because more important than all of those other areas where parents are trying to lay a good foundation for their children is the spiritual part of your children's lives. For instance, you know, a lot of parents think that their children's struggles are primarily behavioral in nature, not realizing that they're actually spiritual in nature. Think about it. You know, as parents, we're often looking for the right teaching about our family, about the right method, the right procedure for discipline, the right style and communication to change our child's behavior. But now listen carefully. You might want to write it down. What we miss is that shepherding a child's heart first involves helping them to be in a right relationship with God so that they can be in a right relationship with you and with others. You do understand that the greatest problem your child has is spiritual. He, he or she was born with a, and I know i got grandkids, it's hard for me to believe this, that they were born with a sin nature. Now, you won't hear that outside of the church. Everybody's good. There's a little spark of God in everybody. Just you know, get out of the way, let it shine through. The reality is, to the very core of our hearts and our children's hearts is a sin problem. 
And what we miss is that shepherding a child's heart first involves helping them to be in a right relationship with God so that they can be in a right relationship with you and with others. You understand? If you're not in a right relationship with God, it's hard to be in a right relationship with others. It's a difficult matter. I don't suggest that behavior doesn't matter at all, but I want you to understand that you're trying to see your child transformed, not just conformed. And that's what a lot of parenting is about. You're going to do what I say. I'm going to push you into this mold. I'm going to make you, and I'm going to and you do all of this forcing of this child, conforming. And there's a need for some of that, conforming. And they fail because they don't focus on laying a spiritual foundation in understanding that our child needs to be transformed. They need something that changes from within. And only God can change the heart, right? Only God can change the heart. That's why when our children grow up, all we've done is push them into a mold, make them what we want them to be, force them to do this, that, and the other. Even when it comes to religious beliefs, we force them into this mold, and they get to college and they throw it all away. They weren't transformed to want God and the things of God for themselves. They were conformed to ride on your coattails to be what you wanted them to be. And now that they no longer have to do that, they abandon it. And that's not the only reason, but that's the primary reason why we lose so many children when they go away to college. Most behavioral issues are foremost spiritual issues. And that's where you begin disciplining your children, dealing with the real problem. Have you ever noticed that if you don't deal with the real problem, you never solve it? I've got weeds that grow in my yard. Why do weeds grow in our yards? I can go along and I can pull the top off the weed and it looks better for a little while or if the lawnmower goes over it, the, the, the lawnmower will cut off the top of those weeds. Have I dealt with my problem? Are you all with me today? Yes. Have I dealt with my problem? No. I have not dealt with my problem. Why? There's a root problem. And the root problem is a spiritual issue. That's why we have to help our children to lay a spiritual foundation. I want you to listen to the writings of a, of a professor, Dr. Lisa Miller. She wrote a book entitled The Spiritual Child. You might, you might want to read it. I don't agree with everything she said, but she has some interesting things to say. She's the professor of psychology and education director of the clinical psychology program at Teachers College, Columbia University. And this is what she writes in her book on spiritual parenting. We are good parents, loving parents, parents of the highest intention and unyielding commitment. Our conversations tend to focus on how we can prepare our children to be successful in school and on the team or about their academic or other accomplishments. We care about their social lives from play dates to prom dates. And we coach them day by day with hopes that they'll make good friends, get along with their peers, and step up to do the right thing when the moment calls for leadership. We want them to be emotionally hardy and resilient to know happiness and how to take setbacks in stride, to learn how to manage big feelings like anger and disappointment. When they do not get what they want, we hope that they'll be able to successfully set a new course, readjust, hit reset, and move forward to succeed. And all of us feel that way, right? Grandparents, parents, great-grandparents, that's what we all feel. But she goes on to say, and yet, and yet, all of those conversations, elaborate schedules of extracurricular activities, and high aspirations often miss the single most 
crucial ingredient of all. The only thing that science has shown to reliably predict fulfillment, success, and thriving, she says, a child's spiritual development. And why would we think anything different? What are some of the big questions of life? You know, what's the meaning of life? What's the purpose of life? Who answers those questions? God answers those questions. The Bible answers those questions. So why would we think not laying a foundation spiritually for our children is going to help them to have stability and durability in life? It isn't. That's the core issue that your child has. That's the core need that your child has. So when you think about laying this foundation, it means that we teach and we train our children in the truth of God, in the truth of his word, in the fact that he loves us. We teach them about Jesus dying for us and rising again and saving us from our sins and forgiving us. We teach them the underlying principles of the Bible and how they apply to their everyday lives. As a matter of fact, I would tell you in today's world, you've got to be a little bit of an apologist if you're a parent. Because they get so many things over the internet that they don't have answers to. And that's where websites like gotquestions.org or compelling truth or answers in Genesis is so important. You can go find some answers that you don't know how to answer. Because that's part of what it means, applying, understanding and applying the Bible to their lives. I mean, their spiritual formation includes knowing that God cares about their lives and that he has a real and meaningful purpose for their lives. Don't you want your children to know that? Don't you want them to hear more than well done when they come off the football field or the basketball court? Don't you want them to hear more than well done from the teacher who gives them an A+. Plus? Don't you want them to hear more than well done from the people that are around them? Don't you want them to hear when they stand before the Lord Jesus? Well done, good and faithful servant. Sure you do. Sure you do. Every parent wants it. That's why you have to have a plan. That's why you've got to have God's help, a builder. That's why you've got to, you've got to be laying this foundation. I want my children to be be strong and stable more than just physically and financially and emotionally and socially and educationally. I want my children to be sound with a sound foundation spiritually. I want my children to be able to build on the foundation that when their world gets rocked, that the house they've built doesn't fall because they built it on a sound foundation. As a matter of fact, I would tell you parents something, and you take it from an old man if you want. Oh, by the way, I'm not, I'm not an old man. Take it from the older man. Don't just ask your children what they want to be when they grow up. Don't just ask your children what they want to be when they grow up. Encourage your children to ask God what he wants them to be when they grow up. I remember growing up, my, I had these dreams. You know, every kid has dreams. But I can hear my mother and my dad's voice over and over. Now, David, that's okay. If that's what God wants for your life. And they taught all of uh, us, all three of the, their children, they taught us to ask the question, what does God want with your life? Not just what do you want. Why? Because doing what God wants brings meaning and purpose to their lives. Not just going and doing a job and getting through the end of the week and getting the paycheck and paying the bills, going back and doing it until you can finally retire. 
You feel like you got a calling, you got a purpose, you got a meaning, you got a direction, you got something eternal that you're living for. That doesn't mean everybody goes to the ministry. I didn't mean that. You may be going to the factory every day, but you're going to the factory to serve God. He's the one who brings meaning to life. Again, I remind you what Dr. Miller said. A child's spiritual development is the only thing that science has shown can reliably predict fulfillment, success, and thriving in our children's lives. Now, I love science, and I love scientists, but long before science made any of those discoveries, God already said it. He already said it. We just don't believe it until science comes along and corroborates what God has already said. It may be 2,000 years old. <laughs> Do you understand? People say, well, my child was born without an instruction manual. Wrong, 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 wrong. Your child was born with an instruction manual, and it's in your hands. Amen? Amen. This is good preaching whether you like it or not. <laughs> your child was born with an instruction manual right here in your hands. I don't know how many times my mother said, well, now, what would God want you to do, Davy? Davy, don't y'all ever call me that. <laughs> what would God want you to do, Davy? What does God's word say about that, Davy? We want to bring everything back to God, everything back to God. We don't want people to be our children to be conformed. We want them to be transformed by the power of the almighty God. There must be a plan. There must be a builder. That's God. He's got to help you. You've got to have his help. There's got to be a foundation. But then, fourthly, and the last one before we move on to another message about laying this foundation in the coming weeks, there must be a commitment. There must be a commitment. I'll bring you back to Psalm 127 for just a moment. Do you notice who the writer of this particular psalm is? These psalms of ascent, there's 15 of them. Starts in 120, goes to 134. These are psalms that as they were ascending toward Jerusalem and ascending toward the Temple Mount, they were chanting and they were singing these psalms of worship to God. But do you notice specifically who wrote this one? His name was Solomon. Do you know what Solomon built? Solomon built the temple on top of that mountain in Jerusalem. And do you know how long it took Solomon to build that temple? It took him seven years you know, I wonder if along the way Solomon ever thought to himself, you know, this project's a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. It's taking a lot longer than I thought it was going to take. It took him seven years. Can you imagine all those rocks at the quarry that had to be measured and cut all at that distant place and then brought back to the temple wherever it was, brought back to the temple and put into place? Think about all the furniture he had to make and overlay it with gold. Makes our rings on our fingers look pretty insignificant. All that gold overlaid. Think of the curtains that were made out of that fabric. Think of all the lights that were necessary. They didn't have power like we have, but they had lights. Think about all those courtyards that extended out where people would gather at different times. Think of all the things that were around that temple. I wonder if we ever thought, man, you know what? I think I'm just going to give up on this project. He didn't. And moms and dads, there's got to be a commitment. Parenting your children inevitably takes hard work, and I'm sorry to tell you that. It takes hard work. You thought you worked hard at the plant. You thought you worked hard at the office. You, you thought you worked hard in other places. I, I got news for you. 
it's going to be hard work. And it's not going to be the kind of work that you don't enjoy. But you've got to apply yourself. In other words, it takes time. It takes effort. It takes energy. Your children will not raise themselves. If you don't raise your children, somebody else will. And you won't like what you get. You've got to raise your children. There are no silver bullets here in the matter of raising a family. A wedding, you know, I love weddings. Actually, I don't really like weddings as well as I say I like weddings. Because if you make a mistake in a wedding, it's on tape or on, on, uh, on, on a picture, and it lasts forever. Never forget my pastor. I love my pastor. Uh, I, but I learned an important lesson, and that is to write down the couple's name and make sure you look at it before you announce it. Because he turned the couple around that he had just married, and he announced them by the wrong name. Somebody else altogether got married that day, and they weren't the two standing there. I learned a quick lesson. You know, you learn from others' mistakes. A wedding's a piece of cake. It takes a few minutes, a marriage license, and a preacher. But a marriage and a family take a lifetime. That takes commitment. A wedding's an event. A good marriage and family is an accomplishment. Did you get that? A wedding is an event. A good marriage and family is an accomplishment. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes energy. The one piece of advice I got before I got married that was the worst advice I have ever heard in my life. Mary knows exactly what I'm talking about. We were told by somebody who was a friend, an adult friend, if it's love, you don't have to work at it. If you believe that, I've got some oceanfront property in Arizona I'd like to sell you. Fact of the matter is, whether it's marriage or your children, it takes time, it takes effort, it takes energy. You have to work hard at it. It is something that you have to apply yourself to. It's not an event. It's a lifetime way of living. As a matter of fact, I would tell you that even when your children are adults, even when they're adults, parenting is still going on. Not the same way. You're not telling them what to do, what not to do. You become more like a counselor. I still like it when my children call me and they say, hey, Dad, what do you think about? Now, they're not asking me to tell them what to do. And if I tell them what to do, they're not going to do it anyway. But they're asking for my advice. They're saying, what do, you, what do you think about this, Dad? I still like to hear from my kids asking that question. Unfortunately, they call Mary more than they call me. <laughs> but parenting is something we have to be committed to. It's something that takes time, effort, and energy. It's hard work. It's not an event. It's a lifetime of giving ourselves to our children. Listen, there was pain bringing that child into the world. There's going to be pain bringing that child up in the world. It's easier when they're around your coattails and they're pulling at your coattails than when they grow up and you don't have control over everything that's going on in their lives and everybody that's coming in and out of their lives and all the information that they're taking into those little brains. It's a whole lot harder when they get behind the wheel of that car and they drive off and you can't go with them because they've got to learn some independence in life. Bringing up a child where there's pain and bringing a child into the world, but there's pain bringing a child up in the world. There has to be commitment. Solomon had to be committed to this task of building this temple. He had a plan. He knew that the Lord had to build the house. There was a solid, sound foundation on which for it to be built. 
But then he had to stay at it. He had to keep at it. You know, the things that you laugh at today that you think are funny won't be funny when they're 16. Now, I'm not talking about innocent things. I'm talking about when they're talking back to you and sassing you. <laughs> Your kids didn't do that? You didn't do that? I remember I had uh, J.D. when he was a toddler. We were living in the parsonage, probably building that gymnasium. That's probably why I lost my mind. Um, for some reason, he was fascinated with the trash can and the trash in the trash can. He couldn't see all the way into the trash can, and he loved to go over and put his hand up and into the trash can. J.D., stop that. J.D., if you do that again, I'm going to spank you. J.D., <laughs> can I just tell you something? Your children have the same nature my children have. They need the spiritual foundation and the commitment of a parent because the reality is if I didn't discipline him eating out of a trash can, can you imagine him eating out of the trash can of this world? You know, um, research tells us that there's three dominant approaches to parenting when it comes to this matter of commitment. There's parenting by default, which is the path of least resistance. It's an approach that it's influenced by the cultural norms and traditions of our day. Its objective is just to keep everybody in the house happy. Just make sure everybody's happy, especially mom and dad, because mom and dad don't want to have to change their plans. The second kind that's very popular is the, called the trial and error parenting method. And it's based on the notion that every parent is an amateur at raising children. There's no guidelines to follow. The best, parent, the best parents experiment, they observe outcomes, and they improve on their successes and failures. It's an incremental approach, and the goal of parenting is to continually perform better than most other parents. And there's some value in that. But the most effective parenting when it comes to Christian parenting is what's called revolutionary parenting. Revolutionary parenting is, is the least common approach that's used. It's parenting that takes God's word on life and family at face value and seeks to apply it to their children faithfully. That's the foundation. I want to show my child how every part of his or her life, whether it's ball, whether it's grades, whether it's money, whether it's their physical bodies, no matter what it is, I want my child to understand how the Word of God interacts and intertwines into every part of their lives. I want them to become so saturated with the things of God that they're transformed and not just conformed. From those three approaches, there are these desired outcomes. Listen. The research says this, parenting by default and trial and error are both approaches that enable parents to raise their children without the effort of defining their life. Can we just stop here for a moment? Without the effort of defining their life reaches its ultimate pinnacle when the parent of an eight-year-old has a child that that parent is allowing to grow up and decide whether he is or it is going to be a he or a she. That's, in my estimation, that's child abuse. Child abuse. But these other parenting styles, the default and the trial by error, they allow you to do that. 
But those who engage, it says, in revolutionary parenting define success. And you always got to know what you're aiming at. They define success as intentionally facilitating faith-based transformation in the lives of their children rather than simply accepting the aging and survival of the child is a satisfactory result. Did you get that? Revolutionary parenting is about facilitating a faith-based transformation in the lives of our children. And isn't that what you want? Please tell me that's what you want. If that's not what you want, you're not in the right place. And you don't want 2,000-year-old advice. Listen, you can't guarantee that every child is going to turn out right. I'm going to talk about that in this series. The fact of the matter is, you can be raised in a good home, have multiple children raised in a good home, and two of them turn out, three of them turn out serving and living and loving God, and one turn out in ways that you could never have imagined you know what you have to do? You have to do the very best to give your children the best opportunity to have that stable and durable life by helping to lay a foundation and being committed to the plan, being committed to God's help as you, as you work out that plan, being committed to laying the spiritual foundation in their lives and not quitting. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give up. The church can assist parents. But they cannot replace parents. On the website and on the app, you can go to this picture where it says uh, things that they didn't tell you about parenting. You can look for the little icon, and it'll say there's a prayer list of 15 things that parents, I think grandparents, should pray for their children and their grandchildren. It's not exhaustive. But you can download it to your computer. You can print it out as many as you want to print out. There's two, it's two up on a page. Print it out and tear it apart. Give it to somebody else or give one to your husband or to your wife and carry it with you. Fifteen things that you ought to pray for your, for your children on a regular, consistent basis. Maybe not every day, but many days you ought to pray. Go download it because the spiritual development of your children is more important than any other aspect of their development. They can knock that center over and get to the quarterback, and they can make big money. Of course, when they're 40, they won't be able to walk to, won't be able to walk up to get, uh, you know, uh, something to drink at the counter because their knees are all gone and their hips are all gone. Uh, but they made big money doing it in the process. More important than being able to pass the ball down the field and make a touchdown is that your children have this spiritual base that you're committed to laying 